verses 1 to 19. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The man traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anything. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In the vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your sons in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is the reading of God's words. Let's pray. 亲爱的主耶稣，谢谢你借着 Pastor Joe 的口，将你的话语启示在我们的心里。愿我们都有有听的耳和渴慕的心。祷告奉主耶稣基督的名祈求，阿门。Please take your seat. Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone here today. Good to see some people back from holiday and others who've been states and other places like that. It is just good to see you all here. Let me get situated here real quick. All right. So the teacher in me comes out about this time every service asking you. So we've been. We're now in week five, and if you haven't been here throughout the series, you guys get a pass. If you are a visitor with us today, you get a pass. But the rest of you, you have no excuse if you've been here for those past five weeks. We've been going through a series called "Experiencing God," knowing and doing the will of God. It is so important that we not just know what it is that God wants us to do, but we do what it is that God wants us to do. 
And we've talked about that there are seven realities to knowing and experiencing God. And the first one, because it's not coming up here, is what? Okay, now you got it up there. All right. So the first reality that we know is what? Oh, you make my heart so... God is always at work. Everywhere that you've been, you hear me say this five weeks now in a row, but everywhere you look, every person that you've come in contact with is a person in whose life God is at work. And God is at work in your lives. God is at work in your children's lives. No matter where they are, no matter how far they might have walked away from the Lord, God is at work in people's lives, drawing them. Because the second reality is what? God pursues. God pursues you to have a relationship. A relationship that is real and is personal and is based upon His love. God pursues it because left to our own devices, we wouldn't have pursued God. The third reality that we see is what? God invites us. God invites us to join Him in what it is that He's already doing. We don't, we don't tell God, this is what I'm going to do. God comes to us and invites us to join Him in what it is that He's doing. Last week we spoke about what? God speaks. God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Word, through the Bible, through prayer, through circumstances, and the church. And last week we didn't get to this part, but there's another part to that one. To reveal, to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. And that I'm going to deal with uh, at the beginning of the message. And then we look at the fifth one, which we're also going to deal with today, and it's a crisis of belief. God's invitation will always lead to a crisis of belief. Do I believe what it is that God is saying to me? Has God spoken to me? Do I know what it is that he's saying? Do I know how it is that he's going to accomplish it? Because when I know those things, it will result in a crisis of belief that will require two things, faith and action on my part. And as we've looked at this morning, at the scriptures that we've looked at here today, when God reveals himself, he reveals who he is. Very, very clear. As we looked at uh, in Acts chapter 26, verses 12 to 15, Saul, or Paul, as, as he will later be, he is doing everything. We talk about somebody who is zealous. Saul was zealous for, for, Jewish, for Judaism. But Saul wasn't up and coming. I mean, he was on the, on the fast track to being somebody who would be really important. He had studied under one of, the, one of the most important rabbis, a guy by the name of Gamaliel. He spoke Greek because he was, a, he was not only Jewish, but he was also a Roman citizen. He was from the city of Tarsus. So he spoke Greek and he knew Greek culture. He would have also, as a Jew, spoken Hebrew, and also as a Pharisee, he would have studied Aramaic. So he knew those three languages, and as well, he was absolutely zealous to stamp out the Jesus movement that was going on. He had been at work in the city of Jerusalem, and now today as we pick him up, he's on his way to Damascus. He's been given letters to go to Damascus, and he finds anybody from the Jesus way, he can bring them back to Jerusalem, not just for trial, but for what else? execution. Because you remember, trial was not there to just put them in jail. They were taken on trial. They were put in prison to await the time that they would die. This is Saul. This is the Saul that we meet on the road. And you think about the lengths to which God went to get Saul's attention. He knew about God, but he didn't know God in his heart. And here it says, on one of these journeys, this is Acts chapter 26. And for some of you, let me just stop here for a second throw parentheses around something. I throw around the books of the Bible, like the book of Acts, and you're saying, I don't even know what that is. 
Okay, so in the New Testament, there are the first four books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They talk about the life of Christ. The book of Acts is the, new, is the church, is the early church. Jesus, one of the first things that happens is he ascends into heaven. He gives his blessing over the church and tells them what, is, what it is that they're going to do. And the book of Acts moves from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, and now it's moving to the uttermost parts of the earth. And this is where we pick up, pick up Saul here. And he's talking in Acts chapter 26 to one of the kings. And he says, On one of the journeys I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, I was on the road, and I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and heard a voice saying in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? This is huge. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now, there's several things that, that we need to just understand. First of all, do we know what a goad is? I mean, when he says, Saul, Saul, you're, you're, you're kicking against the goad. Some of us uh, come from an agricultural background, and uh, when, when the cow is not moving, when the donkey's not moving the way it should, they had a stick. And at the end of the stick, it was sometimes just a regular stick uh, that was pointed at the end. Sometimes they put a metal point at the end of it so that if the cow is not moving, they kind of give it, give it a prod and it, it moves it along. And what God is saying is, he says, you're kicking against the goad. You're, you're going against what it is that I want you to do. He says, how long are you going to do that? But watch this. And here, this is something that is so important. Saul asked the question, Lord, who is it that I'm persecuting? This is huge. You really want to listen to this. God calls his church the bride of Christ. As husbands, if somebody were to attack our our wife, to say something bad or to say something very crude about that, we would be on that person in a moment saying, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, you don't talk about my wife in that way. I hope we would, because we love our wives deeply. And we're called the body of Christ And when we take liberty to reach out and touch another person by using gossip or other things to slander, to hurt somebody, who are we persecuting? Let me say that a little louder. Who are we persecuting? We are persecuting Christ. He takes that extremely seriously. So that when you are in community groups, as your pastor, I call you to this. When you are in community groups, and there is somebody who's trashing the church, somebody else who's trashing somebody in the church, you stop that. You stop it right now because that doesn't bless and glorify God at all. Because in reality, who are we attacking? We're attacking Christ. And he takes that very seriously. Let me tell you one story I maybe told you already. I learned this lesson, a very, I learned this lesson in the hard way. When I was first in ministry, I was 26 years old. I knew everything. You didn't need to tell me anything. I was from Bible college. I had the degree, and I knew everything. And we were missionaries working in a church in California, working with Lao, Hmong, and Cambodian people. And the pastor, we, we attended a church. I had an office in this church. But this pastor, he was like, he wanted me to be part of his staff, and he wanted me to be at his staff meetings. And I chafed at that. I was like, I don't, I'm not part of your staff. I, yes, I have an office here, but I'm not part of your staff. And he would do all of these things. And I would sit there and I would listen to him on Sunday mornings. And in my heart, I would, I'd criticize, oh, I wouldn't have said it that way. Oh, I would have said it this way. Me, with all these years of experience, that was 1988 or 1989. I entered ministry in 1988. I knew everything, didn't I? 
And I would criticize in my heart. I would think, oh, I wouldn't have said it that way. And there was a group in the church that didn't care for the pastor. And one day they came to me and they said, what would you do if you were pastor? And I thought, ah, it's about time somebody asked me. And I told him exactly what I would do if I was pastor. And I ran Pastor Voss into the ground. And I've since called him, and I've repented of that, and I've asked him to forgive me, but I ran Pastor Voss down into the ground. And it was not long after that that I took my first church as pastor. And I reaped back into my lap every last seed of dissension that I had sown in that church. And God taught me a very important lesson, that you do not attack the church. I don't say that to say, don't, don't, ever, have, don't ever be critical of me. I'm saying, be careful of what we say, because God takes that very, very seriously. Amen? Amen. Amen. God speaks to the church. Remember, he speaks to the church. When God spoke to, to Paul, to Saul, did he know that it was God? <laughs> there was no doubt. There was no doubt in Paul's mind when, when Jesus said, this is who I am. And when God speaks, he always speaks, first of all, to reveal himself, to reveal who he is. Why does he do that? Why does he do that? Why did he do this with Saul? God reveals who he is to instill faith, to instill faith in us. You go back and you look in the, in the scriptures, especially in uh, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Thessalonians, and you look at the way in which Paul starts out these letters. And Paul will say something like, Paul, a servant of God, appointed by the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes back to this experience again and again and again. Will he need to know that God was the one who called him? You better know he will need to know that it was God who called him. And there are times in our lives, or there are people in Scripture as well, that God did this too. God did this, uh, God did this for them as well. In Abraham, in, excuse me, For Abraham, in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, it says, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. And notice how the Lord revealed himself to Abraham. I am God Almighty. Why was it so important for God to share that reality about himself, to share with Abraham, this is who I am. I am the Lord God Almighty. What was going to happen in a year from this time? He was going to be a father. And not only was he going to be a father at 100 years old, his wife was going to be a mother at 90 years old. Only God could do that. Only God could do that. And when, Mo, or when Abraham is wondering about who's going to, who's going to be his uh, descendant, God says, no, no, your, your, your helper is not going to be a point of your descendants. It's not going to take on what it is that I've given you. He said, from your seed will come the nations. And he says, if you doubt this, he said, go outside and look. And he said, look at the sky. If you can count the stars, he said, that's how many your, your descendants will be. I am the Lord God Almighty. He is well, God has well revealed himself to Moses. In, Luke, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2, <clears throat> the Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Why was that important that he reveal himself to Moses in that way? Was the nation of Israel, that the, the people coming out of Egypt, were they a holy people? <laughs> they were not a holy people. And God was saying, you need to call them to holiness. I am holy, and you be holy as well. In Micah, excuse me, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, God says, I, the Lord, do not change. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Again, 
Three different times he mentioned something about himself. He says, I don't change. And he said, if you return to me, I'll return to you. And again, he shows them, I am the Lord Almighty. He said, I don't change. He shared this with Malachi at a time when the people were walking away from God. And he shared with them, return to me. I don't change. The holiness, who I am, doesn't change. You changed. You've walked away. But if you return to me, I will return to you as well. The last one is in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. And the Apostle John, on the Lord's day, it says he was on, in the Lord, on the Lord's day, God appeared to him. Jesus appeared to him and said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the Lord God, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Why did he reveal himself to John in that way? Because would John need to know that? After all the things that John was going to write, write down the book of Revelation. Write down what it is that I put down. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the A and I am the Z. I'm the, I'm the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. All of the things that I call you to write down, I am the one who is in control over all of that. God reveals himself, and when God reveals himself, he reveals himself to instill faith. Now, there are times, I pray, that as you are reading God's word, remember, where does God speak to us, to us today? God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the word, predominantly through the word. And I pray that as you are reading the scriptures, before you even read, you stop to say, God, in the scriptures today, I'm going to come face to face with you. For the author of this scripture, of these scriptures, Lord, as you speak today, help me to hear what it is that you're saying. And there are times that God may not reveal his purposes or his ways, but God may simply reveal himself. An example. Uh, yesterday I was reading, and I'm just in the, starting the book of 2 Timothy. And Paul addresses it. Paul begins his letter by saying, Grace, mercy, and peace from God. And it was almost like, like, you need to go back and you need to read that again. Grace, mercy, and peace from God. Why was that important that I, that I catch that? And when I read the last word, peace, it was like, oh boy, do I need that? Um, let me tell you why. Um, there are two things in this world that I'm afraid of, and please, don't judge me. For some of you, if I brought out a snake, you'd go running out of here screaming into the night, or, or a mouse, or if I showed some of you guys broccoli. I mean, it's just so, you know, it's, we're afraid of all different kind of things. I have two things that I'm afraid of in this world. One is heights. I, I, I don't do the heights. I, I'm really bad at that. And the other is uh, I had back surgery in 2004, and they said, well, you're going to need an MRI. And so they put, they said, no, you're not claustrophobic, are you? And I said, no, no, no. They put me in there. It's like, get me out of here. I, I realized at that point, I was very claustrophobic. And so on Friday, I have to have an MRI. And when I heard that I had to have the MRI, in the States, they have the open MRI. And I thought, oh, I can just get an open MRI. Oh, we don't have that in Hong Kong. You got to have to the regular kind. And I said, the doctor I was talking with, she said, we'll put you out. And I'm thinking, okay, okay. But what if I wake up in the, while I'm in the tube? <clears throat> and all of these things, and in the midst, you know, I was, I was sitting up a couple of nights ago. My heart's just racing because I'm thinking about, what if I wake up in the tube? What if the anesthetic doesn't work while I'm in the tube? And God's saying, Joel, peace I give to you. You know, you talk about that on Sunday morning. Here's an opportunity for you to practice that. Sometimes God reveals himself to you for an explicit purpose. Pay attention. Pay attention to what God is saying in his word to you. 
excuse me, let me get a drink of water here real quick. And Paul knew that it was God that was speaking to him. But not only did he know that it was God that was speaking to him, he also knew what it was that God was saying to him, what it was that God was going to do. Your, your number three point here is that when God speaks, or when God reveals himself, when God reveals his purposes, he's telling us what he is going to do. When God reveals his purposes, he's telling us, this is what I'm going to do. God never comes to us and says, hey, what do you think we ought to do in this situation? What do, what do you think we ought to do here in Hong Kong? AIC, what do you think we should do in the midst? He never comes to us like that. When God appears, when God reveals himself to us, he reveals what it is that he's going to do. That's really important to hear. As, as we read in Scripture, we read what it was that God was planning to do. Verse 16 of Acts chapter 26, he says to, to Paul, Now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you've seen of me and of what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. God's saying, this is what I'm planning to do. The, the ministry of, of God's word is moving out. It's moving from a Jewish audience to a Samaritan audience and Jewish audience to now a predominantly a Gentile audience. And God is choosing to use, to use uh, Paul to do that. And he says, I appointed you. I appointed you. And that wasn't just Paul that God has appointed. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we read here. It says, but you'll receive power. This is some of the last words that Jesus said but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He says, you'll receive power. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. There, there is a fallacy. I, I've heard it from time to time, and sometimes I even hear it here, that God, please, that God will never give you more than what you can handle. That is simply not true. You, you, look at, you look at the scriptures and look at the many times in which God called his people to do things that was beyond them. There are those times that God will call us to do something that we cannot do. And in those times in whose strength and whose power do we rely? What did he say? He said, you'll receive power. Your strength is not in yourself. When we try to do things in our own strength and power, it doesn't work, does it? He said, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You know, that, the way that that's written, um, it's not, you'll be my witnesses if, if you want to be. He says, you'll be my witnesses. It's written in a command form. He says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, as well, in John chapter 15, verse 16, he says, you did not choose me, Jesus is speaking here, but I chose you, and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. What did God say there? He said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I chose you, and I appointed you. I appointed you to do what? To bear fruit. It isn't a coincidence that you are in Hong Kong. It isn't a coincidence that you are part of this church. It isn't a coincidence that you work where you do. 
It isn't a coincidence that you live where you do. None of those things are a coincidence. Remember, there's an eternal dimension to God's timing. We talked about that several weeks ago. When God speaks, that is his time for us to respond. There is also an eternal dimension to his word. When God speaks through his word, that we are called to act upon what it is that he's called us to do in his word. There's also an eternal dimension to where he puts us and to his appointments. He has placed us where he has strategically. For our Filipinas, ladies, he has put you in a home. Your, your employer may be tough on you, but he has placed you in that, in that position to bear fruit. To bear fruit that will last. Many of you have children that you take care of, and they may be rambunctious, and they may be naughty, but you're the only Jesus that they will ever see. God has placed you. God has appointed you. Others of you, you've been put in a position of authority. You've been given a position where you have other people who serve under you. God strategically placed you in that place. For some of you, God has blessed you incredibly. God is the one who's done that. And God has done that for a reason. Why? To bear fruit. And what kind of fruit? Fruit that will last. Fruit that will last on into eternity. He says, I have appointed you. In the same way that he appointed Saul... He appoints us to where it is that he would have us to go. Almost a year ago now, we were packing up. The house was empty, and we were getting ready to make the trip across the pond to come here. We didn't have a clue that when we got here, what would happen, you know, six months, uh, some months into our time here. But God knew, didn't he? God knew what was going to happen in Hong Kong, and God is the one who brought us here for this time. God's timing is always right, and God's appointments are always right as well. God, when he, when he comes to us, when he reveals his purposes, he reveals what it is that he is going to do. Luke chapter 4, I'm, I'm going to skip to Luke chapter 4. The, the last one that we find with, with God when he reveals himself is when God reveals himself. Excuse me. That when God reveals himself, he's telling us not only who he is, He's not only telling us what he's going to do. What was God going to do? He was going to use Saul in a very powerful way. What was God going to do? God was going to bring the light. God was going to bring hope into the Gentile world at that time. But how was God going to do it? What was God going to do? But how is he going to do it? And look at what he's going to do. It says in, the, in verse 17, God says, I am sending you to them. I'm sending you, it's like, that makes no sense at all, that God would send somebody like, like Saul to that place. I mean, after all, Saul was the one who wanted to stamp out the church. Why on earth would God ever do that, to use Saul to be the one to share the message? And we're told in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might be displayed in his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. God never sugarcoats the people in the Bible. He shows them for who they are, warts and all. He shows them this is who they are. He never tries to make them better than what they are. And Saul was a man who was, was, was intent on destroying the Jesus way in any way that he could do this. And Paul, I wonder if he isn't saying here, if God can save somebody like me, if God can show mercy to somebody like me, he can certainly show mercy to you as well. 
Whenever God reveals himself, he reveals who he is, he reveals what it is that he's going to do, and he reveals how it is that he's going to do it. I, I look at this and I say, the lengths to which God will go to reach one person for Christ. I was watching something this week um, when he talked about Paul and, and Ananias. Now, we're going to switch gears with Ananias. But in a village in, in India, there were some people that were there sharing Christ. And the one man woke up and he said, we need to go to a village that is five hours away. Because he said, in a dream, he, saw, he said, I saw a man with a, with a saffron color turban on, with a white beard and a saffron robe. And he said, the Lord has told me to go to this man and to share Christ with this man. He said, so they drove five hours and he showed him the temple. He said, go to this temple in this city five hours away. So they drove there. They went to the temple. They began looking around and they found a guy. Here is long white beard. He's a guru. And they began talking to him and a crowd of people came around. And so instead of staying there, the, the guru and these other people, they went to a, a, another temple in just a quieter place. And the guru looked over at the man who had come there. He was another Indian man. And he said to him, I saw you. I've seen you before. I saw you three days ago in my dream. He said, in my dream, he said, the man told me that I was to go to this temple on this day and I was, going to, I was to wait because somebody would come there and they would share Christ with me. He would share with me. He said he didn't know who, even who it was. He didn't know who God was. He'd been looking for him. And he realized this was God who had been seeking. And God was the one who brought both of these two guys together. I think the lengths to which God will go to bring people to the Lord. And here's Saul. Saul has been somebody who's been breathing out murderous threats against the church, doing everything he can to destroy the church. And now God's using this man as his chief apostle to build churches and to spread the gospel throughout all of Asia. And he says to Ananias, he said, in, it says, in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision. <clears throat> Let me get that for you. Sorry about that. <clears throat> In Acts chapter 9, he says to Ananias, and he's, he's, he, in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, the Lord, he answered. The Lord said to him, <coughs> go to the house, <coughs> I'm sorry. <coughs> he said, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias replied, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. When, when Ananias saw what it is that God... Boy, oh boy, what is going on today? <laughs> Obviously, it's something that doesn't want the message to be heard. Um, when Ananias... When he hears what it is that God is saying to him, he knows it's God. He knows that it is God who is speaking to him. But what God is asking him to do, was it pretty hard? It was huge. You want me to go and go to, go to who? This guy's here so that we can be brought back to Jerusalem and be killed. And yet you want me to go to that guy and you want me to minister to him? And God said, yes. Whenever God invites us, to join him in what it is that he's doing, it will always result in a crisis of belief. Be careful coming to church because God may invite you to join him in what it is that he's doing. We heard this morning 
about what God is doing in the Philippines. In December, you're going to hear about what God is doing in northwest part of Cambodia. It'll blow every circuit in your body of what God is doing. Be careful. Because when God shows us what it is that he's doing, that's his invitation to join him in what he's already doing. And here, he tells, he tells Ananias, he says, you go. He says, he, he says you go, for the, go to this house because this guy, this man is a chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and, Israel, and, their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. He's saying, I know who this guy is, but I'm telling you to go. And when you come to that place, that crisis of belief, I have heard from God. The next thing that you do determines what it is you believe about God. Because it will always result in a crisis of belief that will require two things. It will require faith. The first of the things that it will require is faith. In the scriptures, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And Hebrews eleven six says that without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who earnestly seek him. What does it say there? Without what? Without faith. Does God ever ask us to do things that unless he shows up it will absolutely fall on its face? Okay, let me ask that again. Does God ever ask us to do things that will absolutely fall on their face if God doesn't show up? Yes. Yes, he does. Whenever God calls us to do something, it will be God-sized. God's encounters with God are God-sized. And the things that God calls us to. Think about in Scripture the things that, that God called his people to do. The things that God called his people to do. Moses, I want you to go to the most powerful country in the world, and I want you to go to the most powerful man in the world, and I want you to tell him to, lead, to let his workforce, all of his workforce go, and I want you to take them out in the desert, and I want you to bring them into the promised land. Was that a God-sized assignment for Moses? Oh my goodness, was it ever. And when God called to Joshua... Joshua, I want you to, when you come up to the city of Jericho, which is well defended, high walls, he said, you're not going to do it in the way that you've always done it. God's ways are not our ways, are they? He says, the way that I want you to do this, hey, pay attention here, this one's really important. He says, the way in which I want you to do this, he said, I don't want you to do it the normal way. He said, I'm going to have you march around the city one time for six for six days. And on the seventh day, he said, I'm going to have you march around the city seven times, and then you're going to yell, and the walls are going to come down. Now let me ask you a question. When the walls come down, do the people know that God was the one who did it? Yes. Yes, they did. That's one of the reasons why God gives us God-sized assignment, so that when God shows up and when it happens, the people know that it was God. I've told you this before. I'm going to tell you one. I'm going to tell you this again. When we were building, <clears throat> when we were before we built our building in Minnesota, we had a lot of youth, and we, we had no place to go with the youth. And we, we, there was a decision that was made that we were going to build a youth building. We had $100,000 U.S. in the bank. It was going to, we went to an architect, and they said it was going to cost $200,000 to build this building. I left and went away for, more, for Mother's Day weekend with Becca. We went to Montana to see my kids, not knowing that the, the building committee had met. 
And they had decided that they were going to trust God for the $100,000. They weren't going to take out a loan. They were going to trust God. One of the guys got up. He was a salesman. He got up and he said, folks, he said, we got 10 weeks. 10 weeks before youth group starts in the, in the fall. And he says, we're going to trust God to bring in the money. He said, 10th or whatever it was going to be. He said, we're going to, we're going to have $100,000 by the end of this summer. I didn't know any of this had happened. I come back from Mother's Day weekend. I talked to my secretary. Hey, how'd things go in church this week? She said, oh, I was gone too. I went to visit my mother. And so I didn't know anything. Later that afternoon, my secretary comes running into my office and she's holding an envelope and she says, Pastor, Pastor, you've got to see this. And here it was from our Orchard Foundation, part of our, <clears throat> part of our denominations um, where you can give a gift, a gift to. And there was an anonymous gift and it said, Please find in, this, in, in receiving in this gift a check for $100,000. It was an anonymous check, but here's how we knew what God did. The check, the day that the committee said, we're going to trust God to provide the $100,000, was the same date that the check was cut in Colorado Springs. In Colorado and Minnesota, they were separated by a, more, than 100, 000, more than 100 miles, lots of miles. But on that day, when I told the congregation that, when I read this letter, everyone in the congregation knew this is something that God had done. There was a group of people that trusted God. This was a God-sized assignment. And God showed up in, that, in the midst of that assignment. Faith. I'm running out of time, but let me, just, uh, let me just make some application to this. Because we're talking about God-sized assignments. I'm saying, well, you know, I, I don't have any God-sized assignments in my life. Really. Because sometimes we know what it is that God is asking of us. Maybe God would be saying something like, um, you know that relationship you used to have with that person? It, it, it didn't end well. I'd like you to go back and I'd like you to restore that relationship. And you're saying, no way, God, I am not going to do that. The last time, oh, no, no, that ended badly. I was right, they were wrong, and I'm not going to go back and do that. Is that a God-sized assignment? Yeah. For some of you, you're at a place in your life where ah, things have been pretty comfortable. And over the past five weeks, God has been speaking to your heart about something. And you know that God has been speaking to your heart. Maybe it is for you to step out in faith and to trust him. Maybe it is for you to, to stop doing something. Something that you, you like to do. That God is saying, I need you to stop that. And I need you to join me in what it is that I'm doing. I don't know what it might be. But whenever God reveals to you what it is that he's doing, that's your invitation to join him. But it will always result in a crisis of belief. A crisis of belief that will require faith on your part. Without faith, it's impossible, it's impossible to please God. But not only will it require faith, it will require action. And for some of you, you're at that place today where you have faith, but you just can't get your feet to move. And God is saying, put your feet to your faith. One last thing. For some of us, the God-sized assignment is to trust him as Savior. This morning, as I was reading in, in my devotions and just saying, okay, God, I want to be very aware of what it is that you're saying. One of the things that God revealed was that he says, 
I know who it is who are mine. Second Timothy chapter 2. I know who it is that are mine. And I thought about that, and I thought about us as a congregation. I've been here not quite a year, and I don't know all of you. I see many of your faces, but I don't know the condition of your heart. We can come in on a Sunday morning, and we can have the Sunday clothes on, and we put the church face on, and we can be arguing in the car with our, with our wife, and we get out of the car, and it's amazing how that just stops, and we can put on a smiley face, and hey, everything's good. And, and God has been speaking to your heart about your need for him. And maybe for some of you, your, your crisis of belief that requires faith and action on your part is to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior for the first time. I, I, don't, I don't know where you are. And in a few moments, I'm going to invite you to do that. So what do I have to do? There are three things. You have to admit that you're a sinner. And that's not just, I have never murdered anybody. I've never robbed a bank. That's not what God's talking about. It, it's things like, like lies. It's things like lust. It's anything that goes against God. And God's word says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. That's why Jesus came. The second thing we need to do is we need to admit that we need a Savior. I would say that with all of my heart, we are amazing people here in Hong Kong. The, the number even in this room, the number of PhDs that I hear about, just, just in this room alone, Amazing in the amount of education and what it is that we, when we put our minds to it, that, that can be accomplished. But that one thing that we can accomplish on our own is to get to heaven on our own. And for this, we need a Savior. That second thing is to admit that you need a Savior. And the third is to receive the gift, to receive it. And to say by faith, God, I can't do this, but I need you. And if that's you this morning, I want to invite you when we go to prayer. I'm going to ask if you'd like you to pray with me. And if you do, I want to just pray with you a very simple prayer. As well, now as we finish up, five minutes to go, sometimes the reason that people are not attracted to the church is because they don't see Christ. And I think what God is really after is that Christ would be seen here. Not that he's not. Not that he's not being seen. But I, I wonder, what else is it that God is calling AIC to? As I spoke to the, to the Saturday group yesterday, I was like, okay, what, what is God calling you to? What is God calling us to? God speaks to the church. He speaks individually. He speaks to families. He speaks in the midst of businesses. God, what is it that you are calling AIC to? And are we being obedient in that? Are we allowing Christ to be seen? In a few months, or in about a little over a month, you're going to hear from Sut and Sina Lao when they come, come here. And the things that God is doing in the northwest portion of Cambodia are amazing. And I told you the story a few weeks about a man by the name of Samnut and how, he had, how God had just radically gotten a hold of his life. And as a result of Samnut coming to Christ, the pastor of the church there in Srenoi has said, uh, all I do all day is lead people to Christ. He said, I'm so tired. And I think, that's not a bad thing to be doing. And yet, the people are coming to Christ because they're seeing. And they're saying, whatever happened to some nut, we want that in our life too. And they're coming to Christ. 
because they're seeing Christ in people's lives. And I really believe that that's one of those things that God would be calling us AIC, that we allow Christ to be seen in our lives. That's me as well as everybody else. I need to allow Christ to be seen in my life as I'm getting off the MTR or as I'm walking through the crowds of people. I need to allow Christ and the compassion and the, and the mercy of Christ to be seen in and through my life as well. Amen? Amen. Love you and thank you for allowing me to, to speak and to minister. Um, sometimes it's not easy to hear this. It's not always easy for me to get up and say the things too because I love you. But at the same time, these are those things which God is calling us to. God is always at work. God pursues you to have a relationship. God invites you to join him. God speaks by the Holy Spirit. And what? Oh boy, do we have to do this all over again here? (laughs) And what's the last one? It will always lead to a crisis of belief. Always. Let me pray for you. Precious Father, thank you again for the word this morning. And God, thank you for how you how you speak to us. Lord, you lovingly and tenderly long for us to be your children. And you pursue us to have a relationship with us. Your word says that you know who it is that are yours. And God, in, in obedience, we've spoken this word this morning. And Lord, you know our hearts. And you are waiting to extend your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. If you came here this morning and you say, I I don't know Christ, but I would like to receive him today. I just want you to do a simple thing. Just raise your hand up and you can put it back down. I want to just have a word of prayer with you. Father, again, thank you. Thank you for even choosing to invite us to join you in what it is you're doing. But God, at times we look at those things which you are calling us to. And Lord, for many of us, we don't even know what that is yet. And we want to say, well, that's impossible. And yet, God, when we say that something is impossible, we're saying more about what we believe about you than what we believe about the task. For you are the one that said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And Lord, you never called for us to rely on our own resources or talents or abilities. You called us to rely on you so that when you do what it is you're going to do, that Christ will be seen and people are attracted to Christ. Precious Father, I thank you for this this flock, this congregation, this precious group of believers. And I pray asking, Lord God, that you would be the one that leads us very clearly. God, as we open up your word this week, whether it's on a tablet, whether it's on our phone in the MTR, whether it's sitting in a quiet place in our home, would you reveal yourself to us? Would you speak in such a way that, God, we know what you've said, we know that it's you, and we know, God, what it is you're planning to do. God, I pray for your protection over this flock as well. Lord, guard our hearts. Guard our hearts for their their very wellspring of life. Precious Lord, guard us, please. And I pray that, God, you would be seen in and through us. I pray the anointing and the blessing of your spirit over each one of us as we leave here today, as we go into, um, into restaurants, as we go into our businesses throughout this week, 
Lord, I pray the anointing and the blessing of your Holy Spirit that Christ will be seen in us. To your glory and to your honor, we pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One last thing before we finish. There's a candle up here that's lit, and we had two births this week. We had a spiritual birth. Last Sunday, there was somebody who came for the first time and prayed to receive Christ among our Filipinos in the afternoon. But we also had a a physical birth this week. Timothy and Taiwo Ulawami, one of our Nigerian couples, they had a baby on Monday. And uh, you... You want to be praying for the little guy. Uh, according to Nigerian culture, uh, they don't name the child until after the eighth day. So uh, we don't know the name yet. He was uh, two, I want to say two pounds, 2.81 kilos uh, in weight, and he's still in the hospital right now. So you want to, you want to pray for him and pray for Timothy and Taiwo. I know they're, they're anxious to get back among us. I said, take your time. Lots of germs in here. We want that little guy to, to, be, to be good. Uh, but they will be joining us. But as you think about Timothy and Taiwo, uh, be praying for them and be praying for that little one. May the Lord bless you. May he make his face to shine upon you. You are a blessing. You are a blessing, and it is an honor to serve you. Have a great week. Bye-bye.